So I wanted to clarify that the topic for today's episode is mediums and spiritualists. And that is different and not the same as witches. I think a lot of people assume people who can speak to spirits or who can like conjure experiences with the other side um, are witches, but that's not true and that's not the case. So the individuals we're talking about today are not witches. They are people who are in tune with, in one way or another, spirits. And since we're covering ladies from different religions and regions and times, they will have different sort of definitions of what medium or spiritualist is. Like, for example, my lady practices voodoo, which is a religion. So basically, however these people are connecting to spirits is their own choice, but it is not witchy magic, even though witchy magic is fun. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there again this year, of course. We always got to do a witch episode. Yeah, we'll be talking about people who convene with spirits or use spirits in their practice as spiritualists. That makes sense. I cover everything. Yeah, I think you did a great job. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about this because I've always found like people who convene with spirits and like predict the future and stuff fascinating. And I've also found it fascinating how many people like exploit this industry. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Hey Lexi, how's your spirit? Low, drained, tired. And Haley, what's your sixth sense? I haven't nailed it down, but my grandmother on like my mother's side, my maternal grandmother would always say that she could have like a connection and has stories of her seeing spirits and such. And I always like never believed her, but when I, when she passed away, I felt like a stronger connection. Like I could tell that my grandfather was about to pass away. And this was after she passed away. And I could tell that like my dog was about to pass away. Just more getting feelings. Like if something bad or something really good is happening, I can feel that. And I want to like explore that more of just being more in tune with my body because I went through a long period of shutting out emotion and feelings. And I'm trying really hard to be better at that. And I'm hoping that side of like what my grandmother would tell me. And I'm Alana and astrology is a personality trait. So a lot of women in the 19th century became spiritualists because they were like, we can talk to ghosts and the ghosts say that you have to let us vote. <laughs> That's true. You can look I believe ancestors definitely want women to be able to vote. They have the knowledge to know that women should be allowed to vote. And I trust the ancestors. Yeah, but so in in a time when women weren't really allowed to do a lot of things, when they were the only ones who could talk to ghosts, um, people started listening all of a sudden. And that's kind of how you get to people like the Fox sisters, um, Margretta or Maggie and Kate. And I think it's Maggie and Kate are the two who like were fake spiritualists, people who fake it just so people will listen. And then when we get to my story, sometimes you find spiritualists who are like running for president in the 19th century. That's how women kind of found a voice when they didn't really have one. Um, Also, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle famously was a huge spiritualist and a big believer. Harry Houdini was a skeptic, huge skeptic, totally believed in ghosts, but didn't believe that a lot of people who said they could talk to ghosts actually could. There's a thing where- trust issues. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I feel like there are a lot of fakers. So like, 
he probably yeah. just had trust but so issues. apparently he was he was like at a seance with a woman like trying to contact harry houdini's mother and the woman like drew a cross and was like look she's with us but harry houdini's mother was jewish so i would draw a cross anyway maybe his mother was trying to convert him from beyond okay maybe. maybe in the afterlife she became crazily obsessed with jesus maybe you never know you never know we don't know what's on the other side guys like you never know and now today we have like the long island medium yeah well how times have changed so today i am talking about a woman who practiced voodoo which is a religious practice but not exactly a religion it's like a merging of lots of different religious practices from africa so this is a religious figure in a lot of ways and we'll kind of get into that but i wanted to preface my story with saying that there's a religious aspect to that and i think a lot of the spiritualists have that because like a lot of them their visions of the afterlife are are perceived through their religious lens so that's why they believe they're in tune with like good and bad. It's spirits. my lady too. Yeah. Yeah. So Mary Laveau was born in 1794 and she was a Louisiana Creole woman of black, white, and Choctaw descent. Choctaw is an indigenous group in the area. And she was probably born in the French Quarter of New Orleans, but she doesn't have a birth record. Based on her life, that's probably where she was born. And she was the daughter of a wealthy plantation owner and his mistress. And I guess you can guess which parent was white and which person in that relationship was POC because white men love to exploit women of color. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Marie was the first woman to be born free on her mother's side of the family. And her maternal grandmother is believed to have been an enslaved woman kidnapped from West Africa. So that's kind of her lineage. And Marie grew up on her father's plantation and was raised Catholic and studied to become a hairstylist. That's what records believe. Records about this lady are a little fishy. So maybe she didn't do those things, but that's what we think. In 1819, Marie married a Haitian freedman, Jack Perry who worked as a carpenter and her husband, one of the many Haitians who immigrated to New Orleans after the Haitian revolution was a part of a large cultural and racial shift in the area, which basically made New Orleans a majority black city. And it's kind of stayed that way for a long time. And Haitian immigrants brought new ideas and practices to the area, including African religious practices. Five years later, her husband went missing and many people believed he had simply left her, but Marie insisted that he must have died and that she knew this, like she was in tune with a spirit that told her that this is what happened. She believed she was a widow and she felt she was a widow. Marie had become a single mother to two young children and Marie supported her children by working as a hairdresser, styling for both wealthy Creole and white women. So women of mixed descent and white women. And like modern hairdressers, Marie had a way with her clients and they opened up to her and they shared secrets about their lives with her. So she was able to gain a lot of information about upper class New Orleanites. I don't know if that's what you call people from New Orleans, but yeah. She also made extra money by working as a nurse and she would particularly work with prisoners and form religious services for them as well as working as a nurse. And then she also cared for patients in her own home. So she had a religious aspect to her nursing as well. And I would like to insert the TikTok audio, a single mom who works two jobs, who loves the kids and never stops because that's apparently Marie. So thank you. I think it's Reba who sings that song. Is that song by Reba? Haley's give me a nod. That's a Reba song. So thank you for writing this song about Marie. Mood shift 
It is believed her first two daughters died young as records for them stop at their baptisms when they were about seven years old. She then became common law married to Louis Christophe Dumsnil de Clampion. Glampion. I learned French in middle school and I, that's, that's cryptic to me, but I'm just going to call him Louis because I know how to say that. He was a wealthy white man of status in New Orleans. And though they were never formally married because laws banned interracial marriage, we love America. Thank you. They had many, many children together. Records tend to disagree with some accounts suggesting they had as many as 15 children and others suggesting they had seven, of which four are believed to have survived beyond childhood, so to actually reach adulthood. Marie left her jobs to become a stay-at-home mother. Thank goodness she did, because can you imagine raising that many kiddos and working two jobs? Absolutely not. Just kidding. She couldn't just be a stay-at-home mom, so she had to find something else to do. Louis and Marie were together for 30 years until his death, but now let's talk about what Marie did as her side hustle, because this was before the days of stay-at-home moms working in MLMs and exploiting other stay-at-home moms. So how did Marie get her money when she couldn't sell Lulu Row or Sensi or what are some other ones? Those little, the packets of protein mix. What is that? Herbalife? Mary Kay. Oh, you could, you could go on forever. Amway. I don't know. That didn't exist. Actually, I think Amway might, might have been, how old is Amway? Amway's pretty old. doesn't matter. This isn't an episode about MLMs. Though Marie was still a devout Catholic, as an adult, she had become curious about African religion, possibly because of her African descent and possibly because her grandma might have shared some of those practices her, with her when she was young. We don't really have records to prove that, but a lot of scholars theorize that She may have experienced some African religious practices as a kid. And then as she saw those practices come back to the city with a lot of the Haitian immigrants, she felt that connection. And at the time, voodoo was common in New Orleans, but unfortunately had a really bad reputation, mostly because racism and classism. And Marie studied under a well-known voodoo doctor and eventually began her own practice as a voodoo queen which means she was really good at what she did. Because of her mixed racial and religious backgrounds, Marie was able to kind of combine voodoo and traditional African practices with Catholic practices. And by mixing holy water and Christian prayer with hoodoo, which is the ritual aspect of voodoo, Marie attracted a rich upper-class group of clients, much like the group of women that she had served as a hairdresser. Marie became infamous and was known to many as the voodoo queen of New Orleans. She even led public rituals at which people of different racial backgrounds mingled, which was a unique thing in a time of deep segregation in the South. And this was all while slavery was still happening. So it was a big deal that she held these gatherings where people kind of were equals. And she also worked at the Maison Blanche, which my sources said was built for secret voodoo meetings and liaisons between white men and black women. That's a little suspicious sounding. It sounds like some racist fetish shit, but you know what? We support sex workers. So you go girl. If you've got exploited man's fetish to get that cash, you know, do performative fake voodoo sex for his fetish. Get that cash girl. Okay. Problematic, but do it. Get the money. Take the rich man's paper. Marie made money by selling protective amulets, charms, as well as by telling fortunes and breaking hexes that were placed on people by other voodoo specialists. So she would like fix your curse, basically. Some historians believe it was the information she collected as a hairdresser that allowed her to become such a trusted practitioner of voodoo. So really skeptical scholars are like, she made up everything because she knew so much about the community. And then scholars who believe in voodoo, who, who, who trust that voodoo is real and possible, they think that that information helped her gain a place in society where 
she could practice with people of an upper crust who traditionally weren't interested in voodoo. Up to you to decide what you think, but it seems like the general verdict is her combination of like Catholic practices with voodoo practices really worked in neutralizing and creating a space where people were interested in voodoo who traditionally weren't. Marie died at the age of 86 in 1881 and was buried in her common law husband's family tomb. Again, common law because they couldn't be legally married, but they were together for such a long time that it was common law. Tombs in New Orleans are above ground, and Caitlin Doty, who I talked about previously, has a great video on these tombs. They're called oven tombs. It's on her YouTube channel. I'll have a link in my notes that Haley can put in our little playlist, but if you just want to like look it up, yeah, it's it's Caitlin Doty's video on oven tombs, so you can kind of see what these spaces look like and because new orleans is like so below sea level it do be flooding it do do be be flooding all the time so all the tombs have to be above ground yep yep yep. visitors continue to leave offerings to marie to this day because they do believe that she had you know this really strong connection with the spirits and with the spiritual realm and they're hoping her spirit will intervene in their problems and bring them solutions they leave things like mardi gras beads or other traditional offerings related to voodoo And Marie is not officially recognized as a Catholic saint, but many Catholics have advocated for her to be canonized because they see her as a saintly figure who performed miraculous feats. Like um, she performed exorcisms and stuff like that. So she really crossed over between these two religious backgrounds and, and made a Creole religion. There are many varying theories about Marie's life, of which I've only just shared some because I selected those that were like most commonly shared around by scholars. However, plenty of this information could be wrong because unfortunately, very little of Marie's life was formally documented because she was a woman of color and we know how history works. So beyond church records, we have very few things to go off of. And voodoo continues in New Orleans today. This is not just a thing of the past. Modern voodoo seeks to help the poor and heal the sick, just like Marie did so, so long ago. And if you are curious, there are lots of videos about modern voodoo. I linked a couple of those too. Um, So you can kind of learn about the modern practice and the people who are still doing this today. And if you're curious, you can explore that. This is the story of Cora L.V. Scott, and I'm going to preface this story by saying this gal, Cora L.V. Scott, has a bunch of different names, and I'm just going to go by Cora because that's the one that really you'll see most of the time. In my book, that means you just have more options to get yourself stuck in a place of research because there are points where I had to like double check that this was actually her. Anywho, if I'm missing like a big chunk of information or just anything you would like to add, please message us on ladyhistorypod at gmail.com. Leave us an audio. I think that's like through our anchor too. Look at the description in our Spotify or wherever you enjoy a podcast. And another name she has gone by back to the story, of course, is quote, the most famous American spiritualist. And she's also like an uh, inspirational speaker, but I'm going to talk more about her being a spiritualist to stick on theme. If you're thinking, I have never heard of her, you are totally fine. Me too. This name was given to her when she was the most famous American spiritualist in the 1800s. And I will get to that. Side note, her name means seeress, S-E-E-R-E-S-S. And that's like this seer. So we get the ball rolling already. Her parents 
just already threw her a bone with the title of spiritualist. That was correct of them because on April 21st, 1840 at Cuba, New York, you can see why I was compelled to tell her story. A one and only Cora was born, but her birth was a little special because she had a membrane or amniotic sac covering her face, often referred to as a veil. And if you haven't heard about this veil in sense, fetus is grown within the amniotic sac. So if you were born with the sac covering your face, especially your, your face, foretold or that it's like an indication of someone being more like aware with another side, the sixth sense, psychically aware, being more connected with another world other than our physical one. At the young age of 11, she was fully immersed into the spiritualist community and kind of like what Alana was saying, that there's a huge community around this time. Aiden Ballou ran this community Cora was in called the Hope Ale out of a ranch in Waterloo, Wisconsin. Speaking of Baloo, Cora actually put him in a trance and it was noted that she controlled his spirit. And that kind of gets into the second part of Cora's life. So this kind of threw her career into this universe of fame because Baloo seemed to be a very like powerful person. And because also noted two years later, she was publicly speaking in a lot of different places. And by 16, Again, traveling throughout the U.S. giving lectures. Now, if you look at some of the many archives that some people had their doubts, questioned religion, and what Cora was saying was coming from spirits rather than just her talking, you have skeptics. Skeptics is not something new. And in these same archives, in the end, there's one in particular. There are notes on how Cora, along with her husband, but we don't care about him, he's not important to this narrative, would talk to the skeptics or those who are not impressed when they saw Cora speak. This next little quote kind of sums up a lot of it. And it's, most of Hatch's listeners came away impressed, but not all. The very measures she and her husband, B.F. Hatch, the Esther Weil partner of Dr. Harrington, the clairvoyant physician, took to convince skeptics. The committee chosen by the audience and the willingness to speak on any topic they chose. The offer to debate opponents and to answer questions could backfire. Most of the time, however, they did not. There aren't really any biographical records to refer to. It's more articles written about Cora that have now turned into archives. And since she kind of was phased out of history, there's not many supplemental articles about historians re- like writing about Cora and looping her into the timeline, which gets some people grumpy. But I kind of call that BS because I found way more stuff, especially like archives wise. And if you're searching, she was married many different times. That's where also many of the names come in. And we do have two published biographies written by her husband and another written by the head of the National Spiritualist Association of Churches. And to gauge the public reaction, though, there are many magazines and newspaper articles that give more non-academic take, per se. I ask you to test the miraculous powers of this marvelous pair and to see for yourselves the most perfect example of telepathetic communication the world has ever known. Victoria Woodhull Nay Claughlin was born September 23rd, 1838, which is my mom's birthday and which makes her a Libra. 
Uh, she was born in rural Ohio, the seventh of 10 children, only six of whom survived to adulthood. And her middle name was California, which I'm only bringing up because her youngest sister, who will come up later in the story, was named Tennessee. I'm not sure about the other kids' names, but I think it's interesting that two of them were named after states. Victoria's father was a con man and abusive. She and Tennessee were forced to perform in his snake oil salesman kind of act as fortune tellers and speakers with the dead, which was their first exposure to spiritualism. And Victoria maintained that she could hear spirits from childhood. When she was 15, Victoria's parents kind of nudged her slash she also wanted to escape them into a marriage with air quotes doctor Canning Woodhull, who claimed to be a physician, but was also kind of a snake oil salesman, con artist kind of dude who was in and out of debts and prisons and brothels. So Victoria had to fend for herself and provide for her husband and their two children, Byron and Zulu or Zula Maud. Air quotes, Dr. Woodhull actually delivered Zulu and fucked it up so bad that she almost bled to death. In 1860, all the Woodhulls moved to New York to be near Victoria's sister, Tennessee, where the two made some money as mediums. In 1864, Victoria divorced her husband, moved to Cincinnati with her sister to continue their mediums business, and became an advocate of the free love movement. At the time, divorce was scandalous and made women social pariahs, and the free love movement really only advocated for the destigmatization of divorce so that women could maintain their reputations even when leaving abusive or otherwise unhappy marriages. A few years later, she met and married Colonel James Blood, a Civil War veteran and spiritualist himself who encouraged Victoria and Tennessee in their business. Victoria kept the last name Woodhull through her entire life, which is ridiculous to me because she could have taken the last name Blood and dropped the name of her abuser, but all right, Vicky, do you. After moving back to New York in 1868, Victoria and Tennessee became spiritual advisors to the richest man in America at the time, Cornelius Vanderbilt, who gave them the means to start their own brokerage firm, the first women ever to do so. They also started a newspaper, which was the first in America to publish Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. Also, Victoria Woodhull was the first woman to testify before Congress, arguing that women already had the right to vote because of the 14th and 15th Amendments. Uh, and she was the first woman to run for president all the way back in 1872, before women even had the right to vote. She ran on a platform of free love and equality, and Frederick Douglass was tapped to be her running mate, but the historical jury is still out on whether he accepted or declined the offer. Her campaign never really took off because people were afraid of her ideas. Uh, she also wasn't 35, so constitutionally she would not have been allowed to be president. In 1876, Victoria divorced her husband and closed the newspaper, having been sued several times for libel. The next year, she and Tennessee moved to London and married wealthy men and kind of faded from public life. One last fun fact before the end, after Victoria's third and final husband died in 1901, she became one of the first women in England to own a car. Victoria Woodhull died in 1927 at the age of 88, having lived to see women get the right to vote in both England and the United States. Today, there is a Woodhull Freedom Foundation, which advocates for sexual freedom, but they also used the R word to talk about Victoria's son, Byron. So that's not great. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode, as well as our merch, will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Instagram at girlbum.productions. 
Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we really dig these gals and their stories because what else could they be but archaeologists? And if you've been listening, we have a a soft spot for archaeologists. If you don't know because this is your first time listening to the episode, stay tuned. Uh, Side note, we are all uh, BAs in archaeology. Love to see it. This is going to be just like a great, great episode.